0: Something is going on with John Roberts. John Roberts has sided with the liberals now in three of the biggest cases of the year.
1: Well, what do you know? What's going on with John Roberts? We'll, I don't know why I came here tonight. we'll talk about it. I got the feeling of something right. No it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left me, to the right here i
2: am stuck in the middle
1: with
2: you yep yes i'm stuck in the
1: middle from with pacifica you. radio in los angeles this is, is the broadcast. broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la 98.7 in santa barbara 93.7 in san diego 99.5 in ridgecrest and china lake Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Up in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, on WPRR. Down in New Orleans, on WHIV. Got news for New Orleans today. Good news for a change. Uh, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk, Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. And all-around swell fellows says me, just trying to keep up with it all, as usual. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, but you know what? After an exceedingly grim week last week, Desi Doyen, and it was grim. You were here. You were here all five days.
2: Oh, yes. You can
1: prove it. Yes. It was grim. <laughs> yes. Uh, just listen to any of the shows we did from last week, to be frank. So uh, after that and some of the news coming in today... You know, it might be nice to begin this week with something that is not horrible, something that, you know, with a bit of moderately encouraging news, at least as as a brief respite from the ongoing darkness and, and maybe even a gentle reminder that we can and I would say shall overcome our current nightmares. You got that? We are going to overcome. You got that, Kiana? We're going to. Oh, we shall. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Though Nobody ever promised it it was going to be easy. Yeah, well, well, we're going for it. Uh, So let's start here. Mississippi state legislature approved a bill on Sunday night to redesign the state's flag. And finally, once and for all, after shameful decade after shameful decade, finally remove the Confederate battle insignia from the state's flag. That in a Sunday night vote. The historic bill passed the Mississippi State House in a 91-23 vote. And in the Senate, 37-14, Republican Mississippi Senate Majority Leader and Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman affirmed the move on Sunday night, asserting via Twitter that it was, quote, for the future of our children and grandchildren. Well, good for him. Democratic State Senator Derek Simmons, the Senate's minority leader, who is black, tweeted today, quote, Today made me feel proud to be a Mississippian. I love my state. Good. Nice. Even Republican Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves backed the removal of the, quote, divisive emblem. Yeah, I would say it's it's sort of divisive. It's the symbol of a war that killed more than 600,000 Americans. So, yeah, divisive. The uh, governor said he would, in fact, sign the bill when it gets to his uh, to his desk. Governor Reeves said on Saturday, quote, for economic prosperity and for a better future for my kids and yours, we must find a way to come together to heal our wounds, to forgive, to resolve that the page has been turned to trust each other. Well, we'll see if any of that comes. But this is a start. So, yes, change happens. It takes far too long And uh, causes far too much uh, pain, uh, but uh, unspeakable pain, but it can come and it does come eventually. The move is another positive response to an emerging nationwide reckoning with symbols of the Confederacy, which are widely considered to be tributes to the country's history of white supremacy amid the recent waves of protests against anti-black police brutality. But wait, that's not all the good-ish news we've got for you today. In another Somewhat stunning ruling from the Republicans' otherwise stolen U.S. Supreme Court. There was good news for those who believe in the idea that big government should not come between a person and her doctor. In this case, a ruling that strikes down the state of Louisiana's attempt to further restrict access to abortion in the state, with the court's chief justice, John Roberts, once again joining the court's Democratic appointees to come down on the right side of history at least for now, and for at least the third surprising time in the past several weeks as uh, end-of-session rulings continue to come in from the uh, COVID-delayed Supreme Court. We'll be joined shortly by one of the broadcast's favorite Supreme Court correspondents. That would be none other than Slate's Mark Joseph Stern to discuss what the hell is exactly going on with this court and the spate of Really just stunning, uh, if if largely happy, surprise decisions we've seen over the past several weeks. And uh, what's going on with that? And if time, maybe we'll open up the phones to your questions for Mark on the court's rulings at 818-985-5735. If you'd like to uh, queue up early and if the radio gods are with us. Uh, and with all of that, much less than terrible news out of the way. Yes, just a few quick, if considerably darker items here before we get to Mark, uh, who always cheers me up in any event. Hopefully he will have the same effect on you. We'll see. Uh, As the uh, COVID crisis continues to ravage the country and the world, the planet hit several grim official milestones over the weekend, with researchers finding that coronavirus infections worldwide have now topped 10 million now including more than 500,000 deaths, according to the always very conservative numbers published by Johns Hopkins University. By far the largest proportion of those infections and deaths come from the U.S., naturally, where there are now just two states in the union reporting declining infection infection rates thanks in no small part to our criminally failed federal government response to the pandemic. And if you don't believe that it is criminal, and I've been talking now for quite a few weeks that I think we ought to be looking at mass murder trials, frankly, for this president of the United States. I think at some point he ought to face those charges. If you don't believe that it's an affirmative criminal act to hasten the death of Americans. Just look at this report from The Washington Post over the weekend. In the hours before President Trump's rally in Tulsa just over one week ago, uh, his campaign directed the removal of thousands of Do Not Sit Here, Please stickers, from seats in the arena that were intended to establish social distance between rallygoers at his first campaign rally in months uh, a week ago Saturday in Oklahoma. That, according to video and photos obtained by The Washington Post uh, and a person familiar with the event, the removal contradicted instructions from the management of the BOK Center. That's the 19,000-seat arena in downtown Tulsa, where Trump held his rally on June 20. At the time, coronavirus cases were sharply rising in Tulsa County. Trump faced intense criticism for convening a large crowd for an indoor political rally. His first such event since the uh, pandemic began earlier this year. And as part of its safety plan, Arena Management had purchased 12,000 do not sit stickers for the Trump rally specifically intended to keep people apart by leaving open seats between attendees. But on the day of the rally, event staff had already affixed these stickers on nearly every other seat in the entire arena when Trump's campaign told event managers to stop it. And then they began removing the stickers just hours before the president arrived. In a video clip obtained by The Post, two men, one in a suit, one wearing a, a badge and a face mask, are seen uh, pulling these stickers off the seats When Trump took the stage on Saturday evening, the crowd was clustered together and attendees were not leaving empty seats between themselves. As rally preparation was underway, Trump's campaign staff intervened with the venue manager, uh, manager, uh, company ASM Global, and told them to stop labeling the seats that way. The executive president of uh, ASM Global reported that conversation to Billboard magazine He said they also told us they didn't want any signs posted saying that we should social distance in the venue. Now, to me, that seems like an affirmative crime. Am I crazy? They know that this will uh, kill people, people coming to the rally. They know that uh, health officials in Tulsa have begged them not to hold the rally at all. And the management company puts up these stickers for social distancing, and they go in there and they peel the stickers off one by one around 19,000 seats in the stadium. Am I crazy or is that a crime, Desi Doyen?
2: Well, I am not a lawyer, obviously, but to me that sounds like at the very least there's some criminal mischief charge or a negligence charge or some other duty to warn charge that that it could be applied to that but again I'm not a lawyer so I don't know Yeah
1: well I know neither am I so I don't know what I'm talking about don't listen to a word I say but you know what this is criminal this is criminal this is going to re- result in deaths and someone needs to be held accountable and right here the only person I see to be held accountable is the president of the United States whose campaign ordered this Um, You know, the the health director in Tulsa had recommended that the event be postponed entirely until it was safer. The Oklahoma, there was a suit that was actually filed by city residents and business owners to try to stop that from happening, try to stop the death rally from happening. But the Oklahoma Supreme Court rejected that suit. So the death rally happened as scheduled except a million people did not show up to the 19,000-seat arena, as Trump had, uh, as his campaign had promised. In fact, just over 6,000 rally-goers were dumb enough to risk their life to listen to this failed president, which means there would have been more than enough room for them all to be there, separated, uh, you know, with, with social distancing stickers in between them. As the crowd entered the the day on the day of the rally, the Trump campaign did hand out masks and small bottles of "Make America Great Again" twenty twenty branded hand sanitizer. So it ain't like they didn't know there wasn't a problem there. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I'm I'm just gobsmacked by this. Um, but you know, add it to the list at this point. Meanwhile. Um, most, uh, well, campaign staffers and and some, some attendees wore masks during the rally. Yes, the campaign staffers, they wore masks. Most of the rally goers did not. At least eight members of the Trump campaign advance staff nonetheless have now reported having tested for the coronavirus and at least two Secret Service employees. Dozens of Secret Service officers and agents who attended that rally have been ordered to self-quarantine. Last week, a few days after the rally, the coronavirus cases in Tulsa hit a new high, a new new confirmed cases that after they were already spiking before the rally. Well, now they continue to spike. Tulsa, sadly, however, is not alone. A rise in a staggering 36 states now, including Florida, which some experts have cautioned could be the next epicenter for infections. Thirty six states are now rising. Officials there and across the U.S. are also warning of an increase of, of an increase in cases among younger people in particular, likely to be followed by an increase in cases of the older people like their parents and their grandparents and other people that they come in contact with on the street and in schools and at workplaces where they're opening or they remain open. Uh, Florida reported nine thousand five hundred and eighty five new coronavirus cases on Saturday, a single day record since the start of the pandemic. The number rivals those of New York's peak in early April. But Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor, just a few weeks ago was out there talking about how how they did it right, how the critics said he got it wrong and how he had proven that they were wrong. Well, he's not saying that now, is he? Uh, That is what he was saying, you know, just weeks ago before it became, Florida became the hotspot of the country when it comes to coronavirus. Uh, And meanwhile, New York's cases, when he was out there bad-mouthing New York, we're not New York. New York's case uh, tally on Saturday was about 6% of Florida's. Florida, along with Texas late last week, was forced to reclose bars in both of the states. Republicans like DeSantis and and Trump and Mike Pence continue to try to gaslight the American people by telling them that the increase in infections is only due to an increase in testing. That is decidedly not true. It is a lie. It is a lie being told to the American people, and it's being told effectively, I hate to say. Uh, The increase in testing does not explain the increase in hospitalizations and deaths and the rate of tests that are coming back positive. The ex-head of the U.S. uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention contended that the increase was not an anomaly related to testing numbers. He warned of more spread and deaths in the uh, country's future. He said, quote, as a doctor, a scientist, an epidemiologist, I can tell you with 100 percent certainty that in most states where you are seeing an increase it is a real increase it is not more tests it is more spread of the virus in the south meanwhile the numbers are rising as a result of hasty reopenings he said and it's quote going to continue to get worse for weeks well that sounds familiar uh, we discussed texas's explosion in new cases and hospitalization Uh, In some detail on on one of our shows last week, I can't remember which one it was, to be frank, Um, where they also opened up uh, in Texas uh, before health officials had said it was safe to do so. So now every major city in the Lone Star State, sorry Desi, I know it's your home state, I know you got a lot of family there, we tried to warn them, what are we we going to do? Uh, But every single major state now is seeing an explosion in cases in Texas, even as Governor uh, Republican Governor Greg Abbott finally was forced to concede last week. That, with the ICU capacity currently maxed out in Houston, the largest city, if I'm not mistaken, in Texas, Uh, just as it is maxed out in Phoenix, Arizona, another GOP-run state where the governor reopened to please his dear leader far too early. And just so it doesn't go down the memory hole here entirely, here was Sean Hannity of Fox News just a few weeks ago crowing about the great successes that both Florida and Texas had after they were smart enough to reopen their states, despite the warnings to, to the contrary from, uh, from, you know, from people who are dedicated to keeping people alive. Not like Sean Hannity and and Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott to trying to make the president happy or somehow goose his seemingly fading reelection chances. Here was Sean Hannity just weeks ago telling us how wonderful things were going in Florida and Texas.
0: Florida got it right, Texas got it right, and guess what? Now it's time for all the states to follow their lead. We need to learn from the abject failures, meaning New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan. This is where we learn from the dumb ideas and the dumb policies that were made in the middle of Corona. Did they do it on purpose? No, I don't think they did it on purpose. Did they do it because they're stupid? Yeah, that's a big part of the reason, and the mob and the media, by the way, You owe Governor DeSantis a huge apology.
1: Really? Really? Do we owe Governor DeSantis a huge apology? Apology? Who owes who an apology, Sean? Who's stupid now, you jackass? I'd I'd say you owe an apology to all of your Fox viewers that you have helped to kill over the past four months. You idiot. Here was that Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, as I mentioned, you know, just a few weeks ago, crowing about how wonderful things went. You got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. Guess what, Ron DeSantis? It has happened. It did happen. The United States broke another record on Friday, and yes, so did the state of Florida. Florida. Uh, It was reporting the uh, highest uh, numbers across the uh, nation on Friday, with at least 40,000 new infections across the country. This was confirmed in just one single day, the highest number since the pandemic began. Uh, The daunting numbers could be a tip of the iceberg. According to former CDC director Dr. Frieden, a CDC survey suggests the total number of coronavirus infections across the U.S. could actually be six to 24 times greater than reported. The U.S. has now hit almost 2.54 million infections and at least 125,747 deaths, according to Johns Hopkins University, which, again, is conservative. Last week, I uh, read the list of the 17 states at that time where the infection rates were not spiking because it was a shorter list, and uh, I was short on time. But in 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 case the message has not gotten out to all of the places where it should get out, like to Fox News viewers who are hearing crap like that from Sean Hannity and from uh, Ron De, Governor Ron DeSantis, claiming that those of us who told the truth somehow owe an apology Well, the 36 36 states now reporting a rise in uh, cases right now are Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and. And Wyoming. And though they don't tell you that on Fox News necessarily, if you live in one of those states, your cases are rising. Your hospitalizations are rising. Your death rate, if it is not already, will soon be rising. There's a bunch of other states where you're not necessarily out of uh, out of the threat now either. There are cases where where cases are essentially remaining steady or they're plateauing for the moment anyway. In Delaware, Indiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Oregon, South Dakota, and Virginia. New York on Sunday, however, had its fewest deaths since this whole thing began, at least since March 15. Hospitalizations were below. Nine hundred. They had just five deaths on Sunday. At least 12 states have now halted or rolled back their reopening plans in hopes of curbing the spread of the virus. Here in California, in an effort to slow the spread, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom on Sunday ordered bars closed in seven counties here in Los Angeles, up in Fresno County, Imperial, Kern, Kings, San Joaquin, and Tular. He recommended closing them in eight other counties as well. That would be Contra Costa, Riverside, Sacramento, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, Santa Clara, Stanislaus and Ventura. And just in case you think, well, you know, you're young, you don't hang around any older people, you'll be fine if you get it. Well, in Florida, Governor DeSantis said while the median age for those infected with the virus in March was in uh, the 60s, in the past two to three weeks, it's dropped to people in their early 30s. And they're not necessarily unhealthy people either. Remember Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert, who uh, was 28 years old. He was the first NBA player to test positive for COVID-19 months ago. This was back in March. He told a French sports publication that he has still not yet recovered from the virus. His senses apparently have not fully recovered. He said, uh, "He said I spoke to a specialist who told me that it could take up to a year. In fact, nobody really knows how long it will take. It could take much longer. They could never come back, for all we know. Gobert made his uh, light of the pandemic back in March. You'll remember, he's the guy. He jokingly touched every microphone during a press conference And then he tested positive just days later. So, no, this is not a joke. It's not a conspiracy to control the world. It is not going away as Donald Trump lies to his supporters, constantly did so again in a second death rally held just last week inside a church in Phoenix where there are no more ICU beds available in Phoenix. This is a disease that continues to ravage the world and, in particular, the United States of America. Because, I don't know, maybe we deserve it. What you deserve right now, however, is Mark Joseph Stern and an explanation of what the hell is going on in the U.S. Supreme Court where we now have a third stunning progressive decision on a major issue in the same number of weeks. Today was John Roberts siding with the liberals to strike down another Republican attempt to take away freedoms and liberties from Americans seeking abortions. The great Mark Joseph Stern joins us next. And if time, maybe even some of your calls at 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the broadcast Don't Touch That Jeremy Dial...
2: bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
1: Yeah. What is going on? Just what the hell is actually going on? Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So uh, first, it was Justice Neil Gorsuch and um, Chief Justice John Roberts two weeks ago joining the court's liberal appointees in a stunning opinion to block the firing of LGBTQ people for merely being LGBTQ. That was a six to three opinion uh, with Gorsuch and Roberts joining the Democratic appointees. A few days later, Roberts joined the court's liberals again for a five to four majority in another stunning ruling to block Donald Trump's attempted rollback of Obama era protections from deportation of hundreds of thousands of immigrants who came here as children with their parents many years ago. And now on Monday, in another surprise, if uh, much awaited opinion, Roberts once again was the swing vote, joining the court's Democratic appointees to protect abortion rights, at least for now, Uh, not in a five to four decision. As is being reported, but actually in a split four to one to four decision, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday defended abortion rights in a major ruling by striking down a Louisiana law placing restrictions on doctors who perform the procedure, leaving anti-abortion advocates and the White House bitterly disappointed. Oh, sad. The ruling represented a victory for shreveport based abortion provider Hope Medical Group for Women in its challenge to the 2014 law. The measure had required doctors who perform abortions to have difficult to obtain admitting privileges at hospitals within 30 miles of the clinic, which medical professionals say offers no actual necessary benefits to women seeking the procedure. But before you get the idea that Roberts has suddenly turned into a liberal squish, he did not sign the majority opinion that was written by Stephen Breyer. He wrote his own separate opinion indicating that his vote was a reluctant one, signaling that he may indeed back other abortion restrictions in future cases, with some legal challenges now already in the pipeline. Roberts wrote, The results in this case is controlled by our decision four years ago in validating a nearly identical Texas law. Two of the three remaining clinics Yes, there's just three remaining abortion clinics in the entire state of Louisiana, a state of about 4.6 million people. Two of the three would have been forced to close if the law had taken effect. According to lawyers for Hope Medical Group, that would leave just one doctor in the entire state authorized to terminate pregnancies. Donald Trump's administration supported Louisiana in this case, of course. Anti-abortion advocates had hoped that the Supreme Court, with its stolen 5-4 Republican majority, would now be willing to allow these sorts of restrictions on the medical procedure, like those being uh, pursued by Louisiana and other GOP-controlled states. Abortion rights advocates have said that restrictions such as requiring admitting admitting privileges are meant to limit access to abortion, not, in fact, to protect women's health. The decision, authored by uh, Justice Breyer, marked the second time in four years that the court ruled against an admitting privileges requirement, as Roberts referenced in his own opinion. In 2016, the court uh, struck down a Republican-backed Texas law that mandated admitting privileges and required clinics to have costly hospital grade upgrades. Uh, finding that the uh, restrictions represented an impermissible undue burden on a woman's ability to obtain an abortion. That, they contended, was unlawful and unconstitutional. The two laws, the Texas case from 2016 and the Louisiana case today, Uh, are, quote, almost word for word identical, meaning the court must reach the same result, raising the question of why the court accepted the challenge in the first place, a question that I will ask my guest momentarily. Roberts dissented in the 2016 case, however, that one was called Whole Women's Health. Uh, But uh, he said that he voted with the liberals on Monday based on the court's tradition of respecting its precedents. There's an interesting idea, especially since virtually every recent nominee to the court, including Brett Kavanaugh, who was muscled onto the court by Republicans in uh, 2017, and, and Neil Gorsuch, for whom Republicans kept a vacant seat open for nearly a year to steal the appointee, the, the appointment from uh, Barack Obama and, uh, and the majority from the liberals— Every time they come up and testify, they claim they respect precedent. They claim they respect stare decisis. But maybe only John Roberts actually meant it when he made that same promise. Uh, On Monday, he rejected some of the court's analysis in the Texas ruling, which also set a precedent making it easier to challenge abortion restrictions that lacked evidence of health benefits. He said, I joined the dissent in Whole Women's Health and continue to believe that the case was wrongly decided, talking about the 2016 case. The um, question today, however, is not whether Whole Women's Health was right or wrong, but whether to adhere to it uh, in deciding the present case. According to Roberts, the decision was a surprising defeat for abortion opponents who thought that the stolen Republican majority with two of uh, Donald Trump's appointees on board would now start chipping away at abortion access. Abortion proponents were relieved today by the surprising ruling, but they are not yet breathing fully easy. At least... um, If they are, it won't be for long, I'm afraid, as Slate's great Supreme Court reporter Mark Joseph Stern's headline reads today, John Roberts' opinion preserving abortion rights is also a threat to abortion rights. What? (sighs) Nothing is simple anymore, is it? Joining us now once again is Mark Joseph Stern. He covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, election law and LGBTQ issues and much more for Slate.com. Oh, Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back, amigo.
0: Thank you so much. Happy to be back. What a day, huh?
1: What a day, huh? I mean, this is getting kind of crazy. Uh, Mark, for the third time in as many weeks. Uh, But, you know, before we... Uh, Those who believe in, in, you know, those of us, anyway, who believe in freedom and liberty and that big government should not come between a woman and her doctor, as I do, Uh, before we all get too excited and before Republicans start believing that, you know, they stole the majority for nothing, uh, you argue the chief justice, in his opinion, actually, cut back protections for women seeking abortions and laid the groundwork for a future erosion, if not reversal, of Roe v. Wade, the 1973 decision confirming the right to have an abortion as protected by the Constitution. Why should abortion proponents be concerned about Roberts' opinion today, Mark?
0: Well, because John Roberts is a very canny legal strategist who's still quite obviously opposes the constitutional right to abortion. And while he voted in one sense with the Liberals today, he also used this opportunity to roll back a very recent precedent. Uh, Whole Woman's Health was decided in 2016, and so even though Roberts claimed to be applying it, he also sort of defanged that decision, leaving us with a state of abortion jurisprudence that is sort of rewinding the clock back to maybe 1992, mm. whereas for the past four years, at least in theory, we have had a more robust constitutional protection of abortion rights.
1: So by joining the majority in this case, in his separate concurrence, Uh, He was actually able to cut back uh, a a little bit on the case that uh, he he dissented against last time. So this was actually a smart move. Why didn't any of the other uh, uh, right wingers on the court join him uh, if that's the case?
0: Well, the other conservatives are maximalists here, right? They obviously don't believe in upholding Roe v. Wade at all. I don't think we can ever expect any of those four justices to vote against an abortion restriction. Uh, Roberts is a lot cannier, and what he does is he says, well, you know, in Whole Woman's Health, the court really kind of turbocharged uh, the, the right to abortion access. And it mm-hmm. said basically, if there aren't actual medical benefits to women, then the abortion restriction can't stand. Roberts uses his concurrence. To totally erase that rule Mm. and like I said rewind back to the early 90s uh, to this different much looser more permissive standard that doesn't look at the benefits that allows Mm. abortion restrictions that absolutely provide no medical benefits to women and as long as the woman can still eventually get an abortion so long as it does not create a basically insurmountable obstacle uh, on her path to an abortion Roberts will green light it and so that leaves us in a, in a place where states can pass a lot more of these trap laws mm-hmm. a lot more of these uh, you know really kind of paternalistic laws that force women to wait for 48 or 72 hours or have to undergo an ultrasound and the courts can't strike them down because even though they don't actually provide any benefits John Roberts has said that doesn't matter if the woman can still get the abortion at the end of the day then the abortion restriction is legal
1: so so I'm having trouble understanding, Mark. Uh, you know, everybody is 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 leading with the idea that well, he went along with this uh, because it was an identical case from uh, from Texas four years ago, women's health. Um, if if this case, if this law in Louisiana was identical to the to the law that was struck down in Texas four years ago, why was this case even heard?
0: Right, it should not have been. The problem here is that the Fifth Circuit, the uh, terrible, terrible Court of Appeals uh, that oversees Louisiana, Mm -hmm. basically decided to stop. Following precedent, after Justice Anthony Kennedy stepped down and was replaced with Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the Fifth Circuit's Republican judges decided, you know what, Kennedy's gone, so we don't even have to pretend anymore. We're just going to defy the Supreme Court outright and uphold this law that is obviously identical to the one in whole woman's health. And this may have been what part of what pushed Roberts over the edge, you know, basically persuading him to uphold the bottom line right to abortion access, even while cutting it back. Because John Roberts does not like being overruled from below. He does not think lower courts should go on their own adventures and just flout Supreme Court precedent because they don't like it. And so the Fifth Circuit essentially forced the Supreme Court's mm. hand. In a in a saner world, The Fifth Circuit would have said, obviously, this is whole woman's health all over again. Right. This Louisiana law can't stand.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I guess I don't understand. Why would the Fifth Circuit—I mean, and we know them to be a very far right-wing court— they themselves were not honoring stare decisis, it seems, since it was, you know, very clearly ruled unconstitutional or unlawful four years ago. But, uh, Mark, if, if honoring precedent, stare decisis, as is known among you legal experts, if, if it's so important, uh, as these justices always claim when they go through their nomination hearings and they clearly don't mean it. Kavanaugh said he, me- you know, wants to honor uh, uh, precedent and then he comes in and votes against this. But uh, the larger picture, if honoring precedent of the court is so important, how does anything ever actually get overturned?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, what ends up happening is that five justices decide that they no longer like a precedent. And they simply go out and say, okay, well, we're done with this precedent, and now we're going to reverse <laughs> it. Um, and that's what they could have done here, and came, really, I think, came within one vote of doing so. But Roberts drew the line. I think it's important to note, and Roberts did explain this, Louisiana never asked the Supreme Court to overturn Whole Woman's Health. It never asked the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. Louisiana took an incredibly stupid legal tack here, which was to pretend as if this law... Actually, complied with the court's precedents. And one really ominous part of Robert's concurrence here is is when he says, Look, the the parties didn't ask us to revisit all of these old abortion precedents. I might have considered doing so if they had, but we're stuck with Mm. the case that the parties presented to us.
1: So uh, for the moment, Good news. Abortion rights folks can uh, breathe a little bit easier, but there is much more to this story to to come, I, I guess, in the years ahead. Is what you're suggesting. The uh, you conclude in your piece today at Slate uh, by writing uh, that Roberts didn't side with the liberals out of a newfound respect of women's uh, women's uh, women's autonomy. He did so because he decided this particular case was not the right vehicle to overturn Previous laws in support of abortion rights. Uh, Abortion rights have survived another day, you write, but a chill wind still blows. Well, this recalls to me, Mark, your analysis of Robert's ruling in the DACA case. Mm A week or so ago, when he also sided with the court's liberal wing, you argued that Roberts did not do so once again because he's a liberal squish. Um, But essentially because the Trump administration broke the rules in their attempt to overturn DACA, just as they did in their attempt to add a citizenship question to the census, which Roberts also uh, voted to to not allow them to do. So um, essentially it seems like you're arguing that he is a stickler for the rules and 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 now, I guess, for precedent. But your colleague at Slate, UC Irvine uh, law professor Rick Hasson, he asked today on Twitter if, um, well, he says, would John Roberts be voting the way he has in the recent controversial cases? If Justice Kennedy was still on the court and had joined the four liberals in those cases, which, you know, then they still would have uh, won, had the majority, would Roberts have been uh, voting? Would he have been such a stickler for the rules and precedent? Had Kennedy been around to uh, be the swing vote instead of Roberts needing to?
0: Oh, no, I don't think so. And I think that's clear from the fact that You know, Roberts dissented in Whole Woman's Health back in 2016 when Mm -hmm. Kennedy did cast that fifth vote. Um, And so I think it's quite obvious that Roberts has taken it upon himself to step into Kennedy's role as swing vote, in a sense, not because he's a liberal squish or any of that, not because he's genuinely a centrist, but because he is so concerned about the court's institutional role, Mm -hmm. its legitimacy, and he knows how terrible it looks if the swing vote steps down, gets replaced by a hardliner like Kavanaugh, and suddenly the conservative revolution happens all at once. So I think that the most you can say for Roberts is that he's slow-rolling that conservative revolution when his conservative colleagues want to make it happen
1: yesterday. Mm. And that's what's just so interesting here, so fascinating here, because... You know, when you get these decisions, I mean, these are big decisions. I mean, they are gunning, obviously, for Roe v. Wade to make uh, abortion unlawful again, I guess, uh, in all 50 states, or at least not uh, allowed under the Constitution uh, by federal law. I think they know that the effect, at least John Roberts, recognizes the effect that this is going to have. Uh, And also, you know, last week or two weeks ago, overturning DACA, you know, taking away protections from 800,000 people who have lived here pretty much all of their lives. It seems like he does take these concerns seriously. And it's one thing to be a, you know, a Republican gunswinger, a right-wing gunslinger. But when, um, you know, the rubber rubber meets the road... I guess when Roberts meets the road, um, these are serious decisions. And, and I think he doesn't actually is am I going too far to say he may not actually back the conservative line other than as it's useful for uh, for politics and you know helping get Republicans elected?
0: Well, uh, it's a very tough question. I think that uh, it's an easier thing to be a conservative gunslinger when you have a justice like Kennedy who is stepping in and saving the court from its worst decisions, right? So, you know, if, if Kennedy had been on the court and mm-hmm. sided with the liberals in the DACA case, Roberts could have written a terrible dissent, you know, inflamed and furious, and he wouldn't have to worry about being the guy who allowed 700,000 Americans mm-hmm. to be deported. Yeah. And I think the same is true. Here in Whole Woman's Health, Kennedy stepped in, has basically saved Roe v. Wade, and didn't force Roberts to be the guy who stepped in and said, hey, I'm the adult in the room. I'm not going to let the the conservatives uh, tear down this court's legitimacy. And so I think that's probably more of what's going on here than Mm -hmm. genuine ideological drift, I I think it's just a kind of different calculation when you are staring face-to-face with the consequences of your decision. There's no buffer. There's no one there to save you. And you have to be the decider and figure out if that's what you want to live with.
1: Yeah, and and if you have to look at these decisions and wonder about the horrific consequences they may cause if you go through with what you've been threatening to go through with for so many years, maybe you ought to take a look at your principles uh, in the first place. Uh, let me let me do this. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back. There was another ruling today on the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. There was some action over the uh, weekend concerning voting in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and yes, there are more big rulings to come in the uh, days and weeks ahead from the Supreme Court as they end their session. Later than usual, we're speaking with Mark Joseph Stern. We will continue to do so after a quick break. And maybe if we have time, some of your calls, if you have a question for Mark concerning the court, he knows everything. Everything there is to know about the uh, SCOTUS, he can answer it. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but he can answer it. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. Bradcast. <laughs> We're back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with the great Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com on the latest uh, U.S. Supreme Court shockers, like one after another after another. Uh, So, Mark, um, I haven't gotten to look yet at uh, this ruling in detail on the Consumer Finance uh, Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, but I understand the court struck down restrictions on removing the CFPB director. This was when uh, Donald Trump tried to muscle in Mick Mulvaney to take over this, uh, uh, this uh, federal bureau that was set up by Elizabeth Warren some years ago. What did the uh, court rule on that particular case today?
0: Yeah, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is led by a single director, And that's somewhat unusual for federal agencies. If you think about most of them, like the Federal Communications Commission, the old FCC, which you're familiar with as a radio broadcaster, Mm -hmm. they have multiple members. The CFPB just has one. She or he is appointed by the president for five years. And under the law, a future president can't fire the director unless they have good cause, unless basically they're doing their job very poorly. So a president, Joe Biden, under this law, couldn't come in in January 2021 and say, hey, uh, I hate Trump's director here, I'm going to fire her and replace her. And what the Supreme Court did today by a five to four vote is say that protection, that law that shields the CFPB's director from termination is unconstitutional. And it only struck down that particular provision. So the CFPB still stands. It still has all of its powers. But any president can fire and replace its director uh, for whatever reason they want, including an overtly political
1: reason. Even though, even though the CFPB was set up just a few years ago under Obama, uh, specifically, uh, my understanding was it was set up specifically to avoid that happening. I think the the uh, the the director of the bureau has like what is it a five year or a, a ten year term that's supposed to span uh, administrations, uh, and yet I, I, I'm just I guess I'm I'm just gobsmacked by this. I don't understand how they. Uh, have decided they can just uh, toss out what it was that the Congress clearly set up when they when they set up this bureau in the first place.
0: Well, you are not alone. Uh, the four liberals also dissented in a really terrific opinion by Justice Elena Kagan that is just so sharp and snarky and hilarious and, uh, I think, spot on. Uh, basically, the five conservatives decided that the the Constitution— all executive power in the president, and so if the president mm. wants to fire someone who's leading an agency, and that person is the only one leading an agency, well, that's just the president's prerogative. Mm. That's how the president exercises his executive power, to which Justice Kagan responds, where in the Constitution does it say that? There is no removal clause of the Constitution. There's, there's no component of the Constitution that says, once Congress creates an agency like this, uh, that it can't put various restrictions on its personnel or leadership. This was a, uh, basically a decision that John Roberts and his colleagues uh, devised out of whole cloth because they think presidents should have more power. Mm. I really don't believe that this ruling was founded in the Constitution. I think it is, it is rooted in a kind of trendy pseudo-originalist concept of how the executive is supposed to function and whether or not you agree with it, it's just not what the Constitution compels.
1: And it's uh, somewhat chilling because it means there's a a lot of other rulings along these lines that the uh, Supreme Court could jump in and say, well, the president gets to decide. Uh, Mark, uh, you know, just in case anybody was out there thinking, wow, this what a hero this John Roberts is. No, actually, not so much. Certainly not on this case. And, Mark, you and I discussed a month or so ago, uh, I think it was the uh, 26th Amendment challenge to Texas law and others like it that do not allow... No excuse absentee voting for voters who are 65 years of age. Um, Well, they only Texas only allows it if you're 65 years of age or older. Uh, You made the case. There is a a challenge being put forward that uh, says that uh, that actually infringes on the right to vote for those who are over 18 years of age, as the uh, 26th Amendment Allows, requires. Well, it looks like the Supreme Court late on Friday night, I think it was, or Saturday night, turned down a request from Texas Democrats uh, to allow everyone in the state to be able to vote by mail, not just those who are over 65 years of age, uh, specifically in this case because of the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. So if you're not 65 in the state of Texas you've got to risk your life to go and vote this year. Uh, is that it then? Is that the last word from the Supreme Court on this?
0: I think that functionally, yes, this will be the last word. Uh, this, this litigation was all expedited uh, to try to get it out as quickly as possible, to get an answer from SCOTUS as quickly as possible. Uh, Justice Sotomayor wrote separately to say that she saw a lot of merit to this challenge uh, and that she hoped... Perhaps the court could take another crack at it down the road, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem to me like there's a real chance the Supreme Court will enforce the 26th Amendment this election cycle, which is very disappointing, because we actually already settled this debate in the early 70s when we passed that amendment as a nation. It doesn't just say that people over 18 can vote. It also says that states can't pass voting laws that discriminate on the basis of age, Mm -hmm. and that Exactly what Texas has done. Could you defend Texas's law here uh, on policy grounds and say, well, older people deserve more lenient voting practices? Sure. But the Constitution settled this debate. It's not up for any kind of policy dispute. Mm -hmm. And I find it very dispiriting that no member of the Supreme Court, not even Sotomayor, dissented from the court's decision to Mm. swat away this challenge and basically ensure that this law would remain in effect in November.
1: I mean, it seems like a textualist's dream I don't have the uh, the amendment in front of me, but it basically says the right to, uh, to vote shall not be abridged for those who are 18 years of age and older. And it's clearly being abridged when you say, well, you can vote certain ways if you're this age, other ways if you're not. Uh, I'm running out of time here. So, uh, Mark, very quickly, I was I was very worried when those uh, first two big cases out of the box a few weeks ago from the Supremes, uh, the You know, the surprising split decisions banning the firing of LGBTQ people with Gorsuch, of all people, joining the liberals along with Roberts and then tossing out Trump's reversal of DACA again, thanks to Roberts uh, voting with the Democrats. I was worried that they were just putting the so-called bad news up there first. Uh, you know, for the right-wingers, so they could end in a blaze of glory. Well, now we have, you know, qualified good news on abortion, at least, for now. Is there anything still left to come that progressives should be very worried about for this session in the next uh, couple of weeks, as these, uh, the last of the rulings come in? Certainly.
0: There's always something to worry about when the Supreme Court is, is in session. Oh,
1: good. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I, I would be very worried about Trump's financial records and tax returns. The cases. Uh, asking whether Congress can conduct real oversight on the president and uh, issue subpoenas to obtain his financial records, um, and whether uh, states and grand juries can subpoena his tax returns, Um, I think the answer should obviously be yes in both instances. I mean, we're always complaining that Congress doesn't do enough. It's not exercising its powers. Here it is exercising a core power of oversight, and the courts so far have blocked it. Um, And I fear that the court's decision to Day on the CFPB, yeah. taking this maximalist standpoint yep. about executive power mm-hmm. could spell doom for those cases, and I fear that the justices, the conservatives at least, could come out and say, "Look, the president can do anything he wants while he 's in office, and if he doesn 't want to comply with the subpoenas or he wants to step in and shoot down these subpoenas." he has to be allowed to. I, I am really worried that this court is creating a sort of monarchical president yep. who feels he can do whatever he wants.
1: Yeah, that's and that's exactly what I was referring to when we were talking about the CFPB and what they seem to be setting up, a president right. that can do anything they want. Uh, that is uh, very troubling, and I wonder if it will come back to bite them when there's the next Democrat who gets to apparently do whatever they want. Uh, Mark Joseph, Stur- by the way, Mark, I-, I can't remember, did I ask you, are you in favor of expanding the Supreme Court?
0: Um, I view expansion of the Supreme Court as a totally defensible and legitimate response to a Supreme Court that has lost its legitimacy. This court has not yet. We are not there, but I would never rule it out as an option, uh, as a kind of proportionate response to a court that
1: runs out of control. Yeah, I think they're out of control. It's time to expand the court. Mark Joseph Stern, you can find his great work at Slate.com and on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Mark, I hope we'll talk to you soon. I hope we'll have some uh, similarly not terrible news to discuss next time we do.
0: All right, I'll have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for it, but we'll drag it
1: out. We'll do what we can. Thanks, Mark. All right, uh, thanks also to my uh, producer, Desi Doy, and to my board operator, Keanu Williams. I'm sorry I couldn't get to callers today. Mark just has too much interesting things to say, and the Supreme Court has too many bad decisions. We'll try again next week. Uh, until then, you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at theBradblog. And if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who support our work and keep us going. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.